Here's a little disclaimer for you. All characters, events, and companies in this show, even those based on real entities, are entirely fictional and do not represent reality at all. And there's no implied messaging. This is all purely for shock value. There's no actual truth to anything portrayed on this show. To believe otherwise would make you look dumb. Don't want to look dumb, do you? Good on you. You're listening to Hooters Juniors. The Durgan McFlurk Stang Story from Sad Picture Productions. Hi, I'm your host, host, episode one, Viscous, Colorado. You know. I never had a friend like you, host. Uh, I never had a friend like you, Durgan. But it mystifies me. What does? Well, I guess your inability to pick up on underlying tones, check off guns, or when you're being totally exploited, even when it's happening right in front of your face. I never met somebody so dumb, but also stupid. Well, I, I, I appreciate that, Durgan. You know this is going to be groundbreaking, right, Duvalek? At the time... I didn't realize how big a story this would become. I didn't often record my conversations with interviewees, but some part of me knew this conversation was going to change my life. Change my life financially. I wasn't wrong. I first met Durgan McFlurgsang in 2002 outside a Walgreens parking lot. He was wearing a tan wife beater and had just finished stuffing the last of his Percocets back into his boots. There was an oil smeared from the top of his breast down to his belt. He propped himself on the bed of his truck, opening a can of dip with one hand and a copy of John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men with the other. At first glance, McFlurkstang seemed like the kind of person you would want to avoid out on the streets. Holding one nostril closed, he aggressively blew mucus from the other out onto the sidewalk. His bright yellow corduroy jeans were stained with the remnants of this act being repeated often, and his left arm, blackened from the tobacco-stained mucus, worked to cut the falling strings. To say the least, he caught my attention. Back then, I was just a 28-year-old freelance journalist podcaster based out of New York City. I didn't have a lot of choices of where I was going in life. I went where the stories took me, and prior to meeting McFlurkstang, I had been on my way to cover one of those stories. I was to interview the whistleblower behind the Panama Papers, Jeffrey Epstein's flight list, and the CIA's training of dictators and death squads in Central and South America. But while passing through Colorado, my car broke down. That's when a stranger helped push me to a parking lot. The very same parking lot that McFlurkstang had been sitting in. After having studied Durgan's appearance for a time, I decided to approach him striking up a conversation about the book he had been reading, making certain to mention that I was a world-renowned gonzo journalist podcaster who always placed myself in the center of my stories. After a couple hours of conversing back and forth, it became clear to me that the story I had originally been on my way to cover was much less important and profitable than the story lurking behind this man's eyes. A story that needed to be told. McFlurkstang called me a tow truck and brought my car and I back to his local mechanic, who I was then informed was out drunk and wouldn't have my car fixed for at least another three days. This wasn't the first time I had found myself in a sticky situation, but as I scanned the scenery around me, it became clear 
that I was out of my element. I hadn't realized it on the drive out, but whatever town I was in wasn't somewhere that I, scoffs, would ever willingly choose to stop in. What is this place, Durgan? Oh, this place? It's just viscous. Are, are we safe here? Oh, how's your bargain? <laughs> I live here. I own this town. Viscous is a small town in northwestern Colorado that lies just below the Rocky Mountains. It's set dead center in the middle of Turgid County, surrounded by a thick forest of aspen trees and the wildlife that call it home. Due east are Boulder and Fort Collins, but residents here don't have much interaction with outsiders. There's only one road going into Viscous, none going out, but on that road, there lay a grandiose community with a cosmic-sized economy. There's retail shops, housing projects, multiple bars, tobacco fields, radioactive waste burials, and farmer's markets. Having grown up hating white people, I didn't ever think I'd find myself in a place like this. You hungry, house? Could take you back to me restaurant, fix you up some hot meals made by some dumb bogans. I followed Durgan all the way to the end of that road to a dust-covered restaurant that appeared as if it hadn't seen any action since the mid-1990s. The building was held up by rotting wood beams. Pieces of paint chipped off and flew away with each gust of wind that blew by. The steps to the establishment were covered in nails and broken glass. As I read the hastily painted words on the 60-foot high sign above us, I knew there was a story here. Hooters Juniors. As we entered the restaurant, I was astonished to see the place packed to the brim, like a can of sardines. This restaurant, seemingly set in the middle of nowhere, was more populated than any establishment I had ever been in before. Splashes of beer made their way from one side to the other as folks clanked their glasses together in a half-hearted cheers, and screams followed out the bathroom as a man ran past, clutching his stomach from a fresh stab wound. It reminded me of the city. As Durgan made his way through the restaurant, the crowd dispersed, making room for him, cheering. He waved for me to follow, and I hesitantly did. I had expected glares from the obvious half-brains who made up this town, but all I received were smiles. It seemed as if any friend of Durgan's was a friend of theirs. This is your restaurant? Indeed it is, host. Built it up from the ground using my own 14 wages hands. You know, I have to be honest, Durgan. This town seems like a podunk hellhole that if I grew up in and had any bit of sentience, I would have killed myself from living in a long, long time ago. But these people, they seem happy. They seem... Like they know their place? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so refreshing. But, Durgan, how... how are you this successful? Without saying a word, Durgan picked me up by my collar, which at the what time seemed like a threat. But knowing Durgan now was just his way of showing love and dragged me to the back of the restaurant, grinding my face along the wall as we made our way. Once there, we came upon a steel door, which he promptly unlocked and slid to the side, revealing a kitchen populated entirely by children, all spanning from the ages of six to 14, wrapped in chains and locks that were connected to the ceiling. They were the ones cooking the food, and that's when I understood. Hooters Juniors, where the kids are the cooks. 
My war boys. How we doing on them burgers? Great, Durgan. Uh, should have another 540,000 cooked before the end of the hour. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> oh, good on me, boys. Love you. Hey, you! The name's Thompson, sir. I don't have time for names. That burger's undercooked. Well, well, I'm still cooking it, sir. Oh, redo it. And then redo it again. And then paddle yourself with a hot-oiled spatula for questioning me. Uh, I'm sorry, sir. I don't pay you nothing to slack. I pay you nothing so that I can slack. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, I'll do better. That's what I like to hear, little Duvalak. Hey, Durgan. What is it, me little Wagey? I, I was wondering if you could, uh... I could have what? Could you ask my parents if... Always gotta keep the fear of God in their small little eyes. And that God is me. As I understood it, child labor was illegal in the United States. But as I would soon come to find out and already knew because I'm a super smart investigative journalist podcaster, nothing in Viscous is what it seems. Durkin, were those kids? Yep. And and they're trapped back there? Yes. Isn't child labor illegal? No doubt. You see, it wasn't the atmosphere or the stench of burning Vegemite or that all the waitresses and servers had massive honkers that made Hooters Juniors a successful restaurant. It was Durgan McFlurgstang and his ability to commit any crime he wanted to, void of consequences. I had never cared to learn about foreigners, but from what I had been told about Australians, they were all criminals, guided by a need for theft and fraud, drugs and gambling, and drinking past excess. But it wasn't until meeting Durgan that I understood just how the United States legal system would interpret his kind's existence on our land. Our legal system was generally flawless, imprisoning all who deserved it or couldn't pay for their freedom. But when it came to dealing with Durgan, the law had no ability to constrain the man. Fines, handcuffs, jail cells, and death sentences were merely metaphorical to him. Abstract ideas that were far from the world he lived in. And that gave McFlurgsang a leg up in our society. A leg up that he had spent the last decade justifiably abusing. It made me envious, but also curious. Who was this man and where did he come from? Not much is known about McFlurgsang's past. I only had his word to go off of because I wasn't about to trust whatever any harebrained, ignorant, small town bigots had to say about him. But from what I gathered, he was originally from the bush, somewhere just outside of Brisbane, and rowed the boat out to the Americas sometime in the late 80s or early 90s, eventually setting his sights on Viscous. But Durgan didn't just move to Viscous on a whim. He moved to Viscous because he saw opportunity. He saw a life he could create, and people who needed someone managing theirs. Within six years of coming here, McFlurgsang had annexed every single piece of real estate in Viscous and its surrounding turgid county. He had torn down people's homes, making room for new retail businesses, strip malls, payday loan services, and high-rent, low-income housing projects. He privatized the hospital, renaming it St. Profiteers. He started a distillery called Horsewell Vodka and built multiple labs in which he would cook clear later selling it back to the town and creating a distribution network that went all the way out to Idaho. But most importantly, Durgan took complete control over the police force and the Turgid County legislators, making child labor legal 
and giving himself the sole rights to put any child born in Viscus to work. He had wage-enslaved an entire community and become the town's savant. Eventually, the town's mechanic fixed my car, but I knew that I was on the precipice of the biggest story of my career at the time, so I decided to stay. Over the next three months, I followed Durgan, watching his interactions with town folks and the children he employed, recording interviews, and trying to understand the man behind the McFlurg staying. In the process of doing so, Durgan and I became close friends. Being a super objective and ethical journalist, I wasn't used to this. Back then, I had just been trying to cash in on the true crime genre by exploiting people's personal stories and treating my speculations as fact. But as time went on, I started to believe in Durgan's mission. I started to believe in what I was doing. But I couldn't let that stop me from publishing a highly exploitative podcast. And so at the end of those three months, I gathered what material I had and made my way back home. Six months later, I published my research in a podcast called H.J.'s In the Alley Behind the Restaurant. It was realistic. It outlined a man with control issues among his own friends, employees, and the town he had taken over. A man with a history of acting without regard for others and paying no attention to the legal or economic impact his actions had on his surrounding neighbors. A man with a self-described, sketchy, but still unknown past, who was pouring gasoline on a town that had risen straight from the ashes and lighting it back on fire. The podcast was damning. It topped the charts. The public praised me for my journalistic integrity devotion to marginalized communities, and focus on myself, while others misunderstood my work and criticized me, framing me as a self-obsessed elitist and someone making a mockery of ethical journalism. But those scathing reviews gained me a toxic cult following of devoted patrons at patreon.com hootersjuniors and advertisers who believed in my work, who believed, just as much as I did, in my number one podcasting abilities. Even so, I questioned the validity of my own work, my first success. While throwing interviewees under the bus and painting them in a negative light wasn't unusual for me, I questioned how I could have done it to a man who had brought me into his life so intimately and had the ability to murder me and get away with it. However, it was only a week after the first 13 awards I had won for my now number one hit podcast that I received a phone call that turned my life upside down and started it all. Hey, host. I read your story. Oh, Durgan, I'm sorry. Look. What are you sorry for, mate? It, it was great. <laughs> that was the most exploitative piece of journalism I I've ever listened to. Wait. Quite the gift you've got, mate. <laughs> I mean, your exploitation's an art form, you dag. <laughs> it makes me feel like, feel like I, I should maybe respect you. <laughs> McFlurkstang had listened to the entire podcast, left me a five-star written review, donated to my son's basketball team, and invited me back to Viscous. It was as if I had never wronged him, and while I waited months for the punches to come, they never did. He was completely void of negative feelings towards me, no matter what I had published about him, what I continued to publish about him. He never budged. As a number one podcaster coming up on 48 years, I've learned that this is an extremely rare event. 
But even with my limited experience at the time, I knew it then as well. Durgan and I kept in contact for more than 21 years after that. Almost weekly, he would catch me up to date on what was happening in his life, the children behind the steel doors lives, and the lives he had taken. And as my podcasting career blossomed, resulting in me releasing several number one podcasts, so did our friendship. Durgan helped me through the divorce and the abandonment of my children. He supported me financially when the families of murder victims sued me for slandering their loved ones, and always hooked me up with the best clear. He always made sure of that. But this story isn't about me. It's not about Durgan. It's about me. And Durgan. And a crime that would fragment a town into smaller fragments. And how the progression of that crime would unleash a secret so earth-shattering that it would change a nation forever. This is Hooters Juniors, the Durgan McFlurgstang story. It was in March of 2020 that I first realized something was wrong. The world was in a panic over some epidemic or whatever. It didn't really seem that important because it wasn't affecting me. But I had assumed Durgan would have called me to complain about his distribution network's profits being compromised. However, no call ever came. And once I realized that his phone number was out of service, I knew something was really wrong. I began making calls to my contacts in Viscous and that's when I was informed by a longtime Hooters Juniors employee, an unnamed 14-year-old, that McFlurgstang hadn't been around the restaurant in weeks, and that he was now married, and that he had fired the entire police force and burnt all of the officer's personal belongings just prior to his disappearance. This puzzled me. A missing friend who was now married? A man who loved oppressing poor people closing down his police force? And a man who prided himself on physically putting children in their place, not showing up to his prized restaurant in which the child cooks needed to be taught a lesson. That's when I grabbed my gear, picked up my assistant reporter, assistant reporter, and took the long drive out to Colorado from New York City. Testing, te t testing, is this thing? Yeah, it it's on assistant reporter. I always keep it on. I just tell people I don't. But why? You never know when a number one podcast is coming around the corner. That's a lesson you should know by now. Sorry, I, I just- No, I, I'm sorry, assistant reporter. I, I'm just worried about Durgan. I should know better than to expect professionalism from you. Oh, well, thanks for taking me along anyway. You've never been out this far to report on a story, have you? N no, I haven't. I haven't actually been outside of New York Yeah, it's since... kind of my thing. My listeners expect me to go the distance when I'm reporting, and I do, as you can tell by my podcasting trophies. Yep, uh, I see you've uh, glued them all to the dashboard. Yeah, it's kind of a burden being this successful. <laughs> Creates a lot of blind spots for me, when I'm driving anyway. So uh, how much longer till we're there? Should be coming up on it right now. Wait, uh, there's a roadblock ahead. Damn it. We don't have time for this. Uh, I thought you said there wasn't a police force in Viscous anymore. There isn't. That's the state police. Uh, okay, 
Don't worry, let me do the talking. Hey, officers, it's me, host, host of the number one podcast. Oh, hey, host. Officer McCorviday? What's going on here? I thought you were fired from the Viscous Police Force. Weren't you all? Sure was. But then Stady's done hired me. <laughs> Said I'm smart enough to deal with city folk, long as I shoot before opening my mouth. Guess that's kind of what we do anyway, though. What's going on here? Got a call in and say a body done been dumped in the river. A body? Yeah. Should be dragging it up any second now. <laughs> oh yeah, crane done be ready. Uh, Alright, yo, pull her up! As the police crane began lifting the body out of the river, that's when I saw it. Mud-covered. Bright yellow corduroy jeans. Alright, bl- blubber down right there. Durgan! Uh oh. I ran to the body, grabbing a hold of Durgan's now torn wife beater. But when I moved my hands to his face, that's when I realized this body, Durgan's body, had been gruesomely murdered. There were only strings of flesh to grab a hold of. His eyes had been plunged from their sockets, and his mouth now hung by his abdomens. He resembled a can of chili splattered against the pavement and reeked of bleach and ammonia. No, 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 Durgan, w- wake up! Host, uh, host, it's, it, it's okay. No, Durgan! Host, uh, host! Hold me back, hold me back! Host, it, it, it's okay. No, sister reporter, it's more than okay. What? It's great, it, it's... It's... Uh, host, it, it's... It's gonna be the best thing that ever happened to my career. Uh... This reporter. Think of the ad revenue. Think of Squarespace. Host. I thought I was already the host of a number one podcast, but this will truly make me the host of a number one podcast. I, I'm sorry, boys. You, you'll have to get back. No! Okay, okay. I, I, I'm sorry, host. I need to record the background chatter and sound of police radios. I need it for Durgan, but more importantly, myself. How could this have happened? How could I have arrived to Viscous just as the police had started pulling a body from the river? A body that I was familiar with at a time that was perfect for my podcast. It was clear from the appearance of his body that Durgan had been brutally murdered. But why would anyone want to murder Durgan? He was the soul of this town. The blood. The heart that pumped the children into the factories who deserved their right to work. For less. I couldn't think of a single reason someone would do this to him. And so that's how this journey began. I was going to solve the murder of Durgan McFlurgstang. I honestly had no idea where to start my investigation, but having become familiarized with this town over the last two decades, I knew just where to start. The children behind the steel doors at Hooters Juniors. Oh, hey host! Ow! Stop it, please! Tell me where to start my investigation! I I don't know! No, assistant reporter. He's lying. He's a liar. I'm sorry. Sorry about what? See? Tell me what I need to know. What do you need to know? (laughs) Who would be the first person I'm going to interview about the murder of Durgan McFlurgstang? Uh, 
Give me a name. Host, you just murdered... It's time for you to learn what real journalism is, assistant reporter. You didn't have to... I was defending myself. Now wipe the gun clean. We have to go find an interview. After asking around, I learned from some of the locals that interviewing Jared, a supposed longtime friend of McFlurgsang's, who's said to have deep roots in Viscous, some might even say the thickest of roots, would be a good place to start my investigation. So assistant reporter and I made our way to the stud farm, one of the local bars in town, where Jared was said to drink at a lot. The Stud Farm was one of the oldest bars in town. It was first established in the 1850s during the Colorado Gold Rush. Miners from all around who had lost their savings, investing in what later turned out to be a major fraud, came to Viscous looking for a fresh start, only to find themselves years later, poorer than before, and dying of liver failure due to alcoholism. The Stud Farm was the number one place in the county to cause that liver failure and it hadn't changed much since. Hay lined the floors, oil lamps hung from the ceiling, and there were at least 40 different horses freely roaming around the bar, drowning out the ghost screams of the prospectors who had died here throughout the years. Now what could I do for you Bond City folk? <laughs> the name's Host, host of the number one podcast. Oh, so, sorry, I, I must be missing my glasses. <laughs> I, I'd never forget a face from a podcast nowhere, especially not yours. <laughs> of course it's you. <laughs> Must be here investigating. Boy, do I have some information that pertains to your case and would be very helpful. Not now, bartender. We're, we're looking for someone. Is there a Jared around here? Sure there done is. <laughs> that man back in the corner sobbing his eyes out till he done bleeds. Thanks. <laughs> also, do you know where I can get some clear around here? For you, host... <laughs> It's all in the house. <laughs> good, good. Host, do you really think you should- Damn it, assistant reporter. Go back home. Come back in episode four when we get back on track after a huge plot derailment. Host, uh, are you sure it's responsible to foreshadow that much? Do what I say, assistant reporter. It's the only way I can make up for forgetting to write you into the first three episodes anyway. Uh, okay, host. Uh, I'll be- I'll be waiting. Now that my attachment disorder had sent off the only semi-morally sound character in the story so far, I decided it was time to figure out what was really going on here. Hey, uh, you Jared? Yeah, Lance me. I'm sorry to have to do this while you're grieving, but I'm gonna need to interview you. It's okay, host. Host of the number one podcast. I know you're just doing what you think is right for money. And as a resident of Viscous, uh, <laughs> I believe in your need to take advantage of me. Good. You know who I am. Uh, of course I do. I've left plenty of five-star written reviews for your other podcast, but now that I know you're doing another one, I'll have to leave another five-star written review because I know how much it helps with the show. And you're, like, so cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow, thanks. Anyway, I heard you were a longtime friend of Durgan's. What, what can you tell me about what might have happened to him? I'm only looking for straight facts. And also, 
wild speculations that'll treat as facts. Well, I could tell Not you. Not now, bartender. Oh man. <laughs> well, I guess the first sign of trouble was when he done, when he done fired all them sheriff deputies. I, I mean, Durgan loved beating down on poors, and, and he loved outsourcing their beatings. And if our town had any minorities, yeah, hey, uh, let, let's uh, let's not go there. But it's what cops do best. Yeah, I I know we we all know, but uh, let's just let's move along. Well, well all right. Anyway, I, I was real confused when he done that, but but I was even more confused when he done say he went off and got married, cause. He ain't even tell us nothing about his new wife. Yeah, I heard that too. <laughs> and then I, I was double dumb done confused when he said he was like about changing his identities in order to hide from someone. He, he said was trying to kill him. Well, I feel like you should have started with that, but... He told me, the same person who done try to kill him, don't be the one who caused the accident at Horsewell. Wait, the Horsewell Vodka Production Facility? Gone! A few years back now. But why would... I, I don't know, but I know one wagey who might... A wagey? Yeah, dumb little son bitch back there, Zachary McTooskill. <laughs> It was then that out of the darkness came a child, no older than twelve, completely sloshed, knocking over every single chair and table in his way, as he walked towards Alice. Hey, why are you working? I, I could report you. Please, no. D Daddy gave me a knife to pack in my shit while I look for another job. Another job? Aren't you employed? I'm, I mean, you're a child. No, only can of the fact that I ain't got no hands no more. I looked down to see McToothskin's mangled and twisted arms as they wrapped around the table like strings of spaghetti. I told Durgan I could still use my mouth, but but he ain't none of that. Said I'd be better off using my head in the mines, but, but, but I ain't no more coal for my head to bash to. But coal's an infinite resource. How is that possible? I, I don't know nothing. All I know is Dirk done clothes in mines but below the graveyards just before he gone missing and such. D done turned up murdered now, I guess. <laughs> Damn right. I ain't sure how this town's gonna function no more. Tell me about the Horsewell vodka accident. Uh, okay, but it's gonna cost you. <laughs> Mick Dooskin, don't you know who you're talking to? <laughs> no. <laughs> this host. Him here from the city. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry, sir. I didn't recognize your big book learning skills. And I'm the host of a number one podcast. Uh, oh, well, well, if I knew what those were, I, I'd be damned if I didn't leave a five-star written review. Yeah, you would. You would. Anyway, th that day a blur now, but from what I remember, I just gotten in from running through them tunnels. The tunnels? Well, well, yeah, my, my main job was cooking down at Hootie's Junies, but once Dirk ran out of child labor, instead of outsourcing, he just done building an underground tunnel running from Hooters Juniors over to the Horsewell plant so that we could take our half-hour breaks during our 23-and-a-half-hour shifts by going over to Horsewell and, and working there. Wait, but that doesn't sound like a break. What? Uh, of course it was. You just had to run as fast as you could through the tunnels due to the underground wolf outbreak at the time, and then once you got there, suit up and jump in a bat and start swimming till you got too hot or passed out under liquid and had to be resuscitated, taking drags of kid cigarettes in between consciousness and unconsciousness, and, and that's when he threw you back to the tunnels. To run. 
Uh... But, but let me tell you, r running through them tunnels trying to avoid being torn apart by multiple packs of wolves just make $12 for a whole day's of work at two different jobs were, were some of the happiest days of my life. In, in fact, they were pretty much the only days of my life, but before I'd done lost myself to this disease, you, you know, the, the no hands thing. I don't have time for this. Tell me about the accident. Uh, oh, well, sure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, McTootskid here, the only one who done survived. Oh, wow. That must have been so traumatic. Here, is it okay if you... Actually, yeah, you need to cry. Just just make sure you put your tear ducts up to the microphone. I, I want to hear the liquid leaving your eyes. Well, all right then. I guess it all started with a bang. Just then, the entire back end of the bar exploded into flames. The beams around us connected to the ceiling collapsed, immediately impaling McToothskin through the stomach, levitating him high up in the air as he bled out. Why didn't anyone tell me that hay was flammable? Damn it, McToothskin. Who caused the accident at Horsewell? It was... It, it, uh, what? That doesn't make any sense. Host, we better don't get on out of here before the whole place turns us into them their flames. Jared grabbed my hand, pulling me away from the blood-soaked boy I had just been interviewing, rushing me towards the exit. But just before we could make it out the door, the entrance collapsed from above, trapping us in this now burning building. Jared, what are we going to do? There's only one way out of this house. You're gonna have to skin my skin and wear me on out of this here fiery haze. But Jared, won't you die? Listen, house, it's either that and you go into solve Durgan's murder, or we both die here, answerless, without a real true crime number one hit podcast. Uh, um, th that seems... Okay, yeah, let's do that. Then Jared handed me a knife, and I spent the next six hours skinning him alive, until all that was left was a flesh body for Jared and a skin suit for me, for me to get on out of this mess. <laughs> Host, I think someone's trying to slow you down from unraveling this story. Why else would a bar covered in hay that allows smoking and only uses oil lamps for lighting catch on fire? You need to solve this murder, and now, probably my murder too. I will, Jared. I promise. Myself. I'm promising myself. Good. Now you get on out of here before we both die. And don't even think about questioning the way in which I died. It was 100% murder. Probably by the same person who done murdered Dirk. Jared's flesh body picked me up and tossed me through the large glass window to the side of the bar. Which I guess we could have gotten out of any time during those six hours we were trapped there. But that didn't matter now. Jared! I watched as the building came down on Jared and heard the screams of horses. Horses that would soon be ghosts. Ghosts of the future, which made me think about my future. Would all those podcasts I had previously released and been praised for really define my legacy? Or was my legacy something bigger? I was already pretty big. <laughs> I had a lot of money now too, but I couldn't help but feel like I wanted more. And that got me thinking back to the present to what had just happened here. Why would someone set the stud farm on fire? It definitely wasn't accidental, and that meant it had to be about me. 
But why would someone want to stop me from uncovering me stories? Who would want to stop me from uncovering me stories? I had come back to Viscous searching for answers, but all I found were questions. Questions that created more answers that I needed quet answered. Yeah. In the aftermath of the bar collapsing and Jared being totally murdered, there, there actually was no aftermath. I sat there waiting for police, fire trucks, an ambulance, anything, but no one came. This town had abolished the use of any public services. It was perfect, but also concerning, as it hindered my ability to use those services for free and gather the information I needed. It wasn't until I was approached by a man who had watched me peel off my Jared skin suit that things got even deeper. Host, uh, that you? Looks like you might need some help. <laughs> Plus, I got something you're gonna wanna hear. Yeah? You've got an interview for me? Uh, yeah, I, I does. Come on, follow me. And that's when things got even deepener. Hooters Jr.'s The Durgan McClurgsang Story is a Sad Picture production. If you would like to support us or gain access to exclusive content, visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash hootersjuniors. That's patreon.com slash hootersjrs. To get in contact, send an email to fuckyousuemi at hootersjuniors.com. Hooters Juniors is created, written, and edited by host, co-written by Cameron's tax guy, Produced by Cameron's Tax Guy and Trent C. Rollins. Executive producer Trapper D. McBlackfoot. Voiced by host and a bunch of unnamed expendable wages. Fuck em. To learn more, visit HootersJuniors.com. Real truth is a crime.